Well, my name is Jimmy. I'm an elder here at City Light, and uh, today we're going to be finishing up the book of Titus, that passage we just read. Uh, before we get into it, let's, let's start with another word of prayer. Dear Father, Lord, um, I'm just so thankful for your word and for the power of your word and for your spirit that you pour out on us through your word, Lord. I just pray that you would use your word in the hearts of your people here this morning, Lord, that you would uh, you'd protect me from, I have a lot of my own ideas, Lord. I pray that you protect the people from my ideas and that you would just get your ideas across uh, to people, Lord. I pray for um, the hearts of the people in this room just to be fertile ground. Uh, I pray that you'd protect us from the evil one coming and snatching away the word, Lord, but just that your word would implant itself in, it, in our hearts and just that it would sprout up and would bear fruit uh, even here as we finish up the book of Titus. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you open up your Bible to Titus chapter 3, so you can follow along with me, so you know I'm not making anything up, I'd appreciate that. But as we finish up the book of Titus, Paul has some final personal notes for Titus. And our temptation might be, as we come to the end of the book, to kind of quickly skip over these ending verses, right? We skip over the end, but every word of God is intentional, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, and for training in righteousness. So these verses are here for a reason. Okay, God didn't waste any space. So God has a purpose in these verses for us. So we want to make sure we don't skip over them, but we mine them and get out what God has for us. And as we prepare our hearts for these closing verses, I just want to remind you uh, and kind of remind myself as we're doing it that the word of God is living and it's active. You know, in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, there was nothing, right? What's the first thing that happened is God spoke. He said, let there be light, and light appeared. That's the power of God's word. So as we're coming today to look at this passage, this is not light. This is not an inactive, weak word, but this is the word of God. Uh, so I want us to really study it, study it and pay close attention today. So what are we going to be looking at today? In these closing verses, Paul gives some personal notes, verse 12 and 13. He says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis, because I've decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey so that they will lack nothing. Uh, but what we're going to devote most of our time to is verse 14. What Paul does in verse 14 is he kind of sums up the letter. Okay, and we do this sometimes after a long talk, right? You know, sometimes when I'm talking with my wife, Alyssa, uh, and I have a point that I want to get across, I might ramble for a bit, but then at the end, I say, okay, summing up, just in case you missed everything through what I, the rambling, here's the main point that I was trying to get across. Uh, and Paul does that here in verse 14. He sums up the book. He says, our people must also learn to devote themselves to good works for cases of urgent need, so that they will not be unfruitful. The point of Paul's letter to Titus is do good deeds. And this might sound weird to us as Christians. We talk about good deeds and we might squirm a little bit uh, because good deeds kind of get a bad reputation in Christianity today. And the reason is that many people look to their good deeds for salvation. If you ask random people on the street, if you were to die tonight, why would God let you into heaven? And a side note, you have to be careful when you ask that question. We had a college student that would carry a knife with him because he was a country boy. And you go around to people, what would happen if you died tonight? So just be careful when you word things that way. Uh, he had the police called on him once, so persecution, I guess. Praise the Lord. Uh, but when you ask random people in America, 
why would God, why should God let you into heaven? What do most people say? A majority of people say, because I've done good things, because of my good works. So as Christians, we know that's not the right answer. So we, you know, we know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. So then we start to run away from good works. We say, oh, we want nothing to do with those. But we forget the next verse in Ephesians 2. We have verse 8 and 9, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not a result of works. But then verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. So we're not saved by our good works, but he did save us for good works. That's the purpose of your salvation. That's what we've been seeing in the book of Titus. That's how he started the book in verse 1. He says, I'm writing to build up the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of their tr the truth, their salvation, that leads to godliness, that leads to good works. So you're not saved by godliness. Godliness doesn't give you the knowledge of the truth, but knowledge of the truth brings godliness. You being saved brings good works. And that was the problem in the church at Crete, where Titus was the pastor. Uh, Crete was a terrible place. Uh, it was known for being very immoral. Verse 12 says, uh, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And verse 13 says, this testimony is true. That sums up the city. In fact, it was such a terrible place, they, the Romans made up a word to Cretanize, meant to lie. Uh, so how would you like that if they named, your city, your city was so bad, they named a sin after your city. That's where Crete was. So what happens when you have this, this terrible city where everyone, it says in chapter 3, verse 3, are enslaved by various passions and pleasures. They're liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. What happens when the power of Jesus Christ and the gospel comes into this place and the Holy Spirit frees people from their passions and pleasures, regenerates us and renews us, as Titus 3, 5 said? What happens in the life that God does that? Well, God's intention is that we become a whole new people. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. It says, He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. He saved us so that we would be a radically different people. And that radical change in us, that we were going this way, living for our own passions and pleasures, and then all of a sudden we're switched and now we're living for God, that radical change, that Saul to Paul transformation makes God look awesome. It magnifies his power when people see that. Titus chapter 2 verse 10 uh, says that it adorns the teaching of God our Savior in everything. Uh, that word for adorn, it, it literally means to put on makeup. It's the word they would use when women put on makeup. So what he's saying there is that it's the message of the cross that saves people, so it's the gospel that saves people, but people seeing the power of God in our lives can either make the gospel look good, it can adorn it, or it can make the gospel look ugly. Titus 1 verse 16 says that there are some people who profess to know God, so their mouth says, yeah, we know God, but by their deeds they deny him. And that doesn't make the gospel look beautiful, that make, it says they are detestable. That's a, maybe the anti-makeup. I don't know if that's a real thing, but that's what they make the gospel look gross and powerless, like it didn't do anything. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul's praising the Thessalonians, and he says, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power 
and in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. When God's word truly comes and truly reaches people, it doesn't come in just word. It's not something that comes and it's just something you speak, but it comes with the power of the Holy Spirit to regenerate and change a life, to produce the fruit of the Spirit. So we don't want the, the word to come in word only. Now, have you ever wondered, I've thought this many times, uh, but have you ever wondered why when you get saved, God doesn't just take you immediately to heaven? Right? I'm on my way there. Life is not that great, right? Life is full of a lot of troubles and a lot of pains. Uh, life's not that pleasant. So if I'm on my way to heaven, why not when I get saved, he just takes me right there? Why am I still here? And it's because he wants to display his power in your life to those around you. Ephesians 2.10 that we looked at easier were, were his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That word for workmanship you got some Hebrew words earlier. You're going to get a Greek word now. Uh, it's a simple one. It's poema. We are his poema. And you might hear what English word we get from that. It's poem. We are God's poem created in Christ Jesus for good works. God intends for people to look at our lives, hear our message about the power of Jesus Christ in the gospel, and then see our lives as a poem of his power. That's his intention for us, that what we say is the truth with our lips becomes true with our, act, with our lives. That's what God wants for his church, and um, that's why Paul's writing to Titus. And so he sums it up again here, verse 14. Our people must learn to devote themselves to good works so that they will not be unfruitful. So that's what God's aiming at. Now there's four things. Now that we've seen, here's summing up the book of Titus, and here God wants good works Here's four things from these verses that I think will help us. Four things we learn from this passage. The first one from verse 14 is that good deeds do not happen overnight. This transformation does not happen overnight. So read again verse 14. Paul says, Our people must also learn to devote themselves to good works for cases of urgent need so that they will not be unfruitful. So again, Paul wants the people devoted to good works, but notice what he says. He says, this is something our people need to learn to do. This isn't something that just happens magically overnight. You know, you might read the book of Titus, or you might even hear what I said earlier in this message and start thinking, you know, well, we're God's poem to the world. You might think, I'm a Christian. This should all be happening in me right now. This should all be true of me right now. And we can get discouraged because we think, Wow, actually, when I read the book of Titus, there's a lot of things in Titus that don't match up with my life. And we can start to get discouraged by that. We start to think that salvation is a switch where we go from living in the world to loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And it just happens overnight. And we're good to go now. Um, and there is a sense in that when you get saved, everything changes. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. New things have come. But, that but the transformation of the Christian life is about learning and growing in knowing God and producing godliness. And you can think of it this way. Uh, when Jesus meets with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you remember what he tells him? He tells him, um, you have to be born again to see God. It's like being born again. So when you're born, I don't know if you remember, but when you were born, there are some big changes from when you were not born. Right? There's some big differences. But there's still a long way for you to go before you're a full-fledged adult. 
right? There's a growth process. There's a learning process that you go through. And again, we, sometimes as Christians, we get discouraged at uh, City Group a few weeks ago. Uh, we were going through Titus 2 and the commands in Titus 2, and some people were discouraged, and they were saying, this isn't, these things aren't true in my life. But again, it's a growth process. It's a learning process. Just like my son Hayden, he's, he's in here, so I'm going to use him. He's seven. He had his first baseball practice this last week, and sometimes he gets frustrated that he can't hit the ball yet, right? But it's a process. Now, that illustration breaks down because I'm 33 and I still can't hit the ball, um, but you get the point. That's the whole reason that Paul writes a letter, uh, is if, if it happened automatically when you got, got saved, why would we need God's Word? We need God's Word to help us grow, to learn, to devote ourselves to good deeds. Again, if you look back at uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 14, what God is looking for, what God produces, are people that are eager for good works. That's what he's looking for. If you're frustrated by where you're at with your walk in the Lord, and you look at the book of Titus and say, man, my life does not look that way, don't be discouraged. Praise God that he's made you dissatisfied with where you're at. That's a work of God in your heart, that you're not happy with where you're at. You're not happy that you don't look the way the book of Titus says you should look. That's a work of his Holy Spirit in you. Don't condemn yourself. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But keep pressing forward. Grow. Keep growing. And how do we grow? Uh, if we're babies as Christians, we're learning to walk, we're learning to, to live our lives as Christians, what do we do? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, Like newborn babes, you've been born again, so now like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Keep getting God's word into you. Drink in the book of Titus. That's why we're studying it, is we want growth in people. We want to learn to do good deeds. So that's point number one. God created us in Christ Jesus for good deeds, but these good deeds don't happen overnight. It's a growth process. Number two, good deeds are not for us to look good. Good deeds are not for us. As you grow and as your life becomes more godliness, as you kill more and more of your sin and your life reflects more and more the character of Jesus, there might be a temptation in yourself and in other people to look at you and start giving you credit for your changed life. What a, what a good Christian. You're doing so well with all these good deeds. Good deeds are not meant for us to look good. And I get this from the word unfruitful in verse 14. He says, our people learn to devote themselves to good deeds so that they won't be unfruitful. So God wants you to be fruitful. What exactly does that mean? That's kind of a, a weird thing. But this isn't a picture that, our idea that Paul pulled out of thin air. Uh, he stole this from Jesus. So we're going to go back to the source. If we want to know what fruitful means, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, back to John chapter 15. And I like to have you turn there so you know I'm not making anything up, but you can see it for yourself. So if you're in Titus, John is backwards. You go through a bunch of Paul's letters and you get to Acts, where we normally add on Sunday mornings, and then you get to John right before that. But this is Jesus giving some final instructions to his disciples uh, before his crucifixion. And you know it's Jesus talking because the letters are read. Um, that's not the only way we know, but verse 5 Jesus says, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So Jesus is giving an illustration. 
And in my mind, the way my mind works, we don't really have, I don't, I can't, I have a hard time picturing vines with branches. We don't have a lot of those around here. So I'm going to say in this illustration, Jesus is the tree trunk and we are the branches. So that helps me visually. Okay, I'm not changing God's word. Uh, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who reminds it, remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Verse 6, if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So again, thinking of a tree with branches, Jesus says we are to attach to him the way a branch attaches to a tree. Okay, that's supposed to be our relationship with Jesus. We attach to him the way a branch attaches to the tree. Now, what about a branch that is not attached to the tree? A person who's not attached to Jesus. Well, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. What happens to a branch that's disconnected from the tree, a branch laying on the ground? It withers. It dies. It has no power in and of itself. It's, you're never going to walk along and see a branch that's just laying on the ground start producing fruit, right? Because it's not the branch that has the power to produce fruit. It's the tree that gives the power, so as soon as the branches, if the branch is not connected to the tree, there's no power there. The tree has the power of the fruit, not the branch. Look at verse 8. He says, so my father is glorified by this. This is what makes God look good, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So when a branch produces fruit, the branch doesn't get the glory because that same branch put it on the ground and it's worthless. Right? It's not good for anything, it says, except to be thrown into the fire. So again, when the branch is connected to the tree and it produces much fruit, it's the tree that gets the glory for that fruit. So again, transferring that, bringing that over to what we're talking about, our fruit, the good deeds we do, are never to bring glory to us. Because our good deeds only come from connecting to Jesus Christ. He gives us that connection. Apart from him, we could do nothing. So, and for me, this truth, this is very humbling, but it's also very exciting. It's humbling for me because I know I can't take credit for anything good in my life. Any of my godliness, any of my good deeds, the fact that I'm eager to do good deeds, the fact that when I read the book of Titus and my heart is stirred up like, oh, I really want to live for God. I really want to be God's poema to the world. The fact that that happens in my heart is not from me. No one should look, oh, Jimmy, you're so godly for wanting to do good deeds for the Lord. It's not from me. It's from my connection to the tree. It's Jesus and his spirit that works that in my heart. That's very humbling. I get no credit for it. But it's also exciting because I know that it's God who's at work in me who will produce the fruit in me. Philippians 1 says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. The fact that I'm growing is the, is the fact that God, the God of the universe, is at work in my heart. That's very exciting. It's not reliant on me. It's him working in me. So it's humbling, but it's also very exciting. Um, so again, if you feel one ounce right now of, God, I want to live more for you, Praise him that he, the God of the universe, is at work in your heart right now. Again, that doesn't come from you. There's nothing good in you. 
That comes from his work in you, and praise him for that. So, God wants good deeds so we can be his poem to the world. Number one, good deeds don't happen overnight. It's a learning process. Number two, good deeds, our fruit is to make God look good, not to make us look good. Um, The third thing we see is that good deeds are not done in isolation. And what I mean by that is that good works are not just something between you and God. They involve other people. And I think uh, in these verses, Paul involves other people in two ways. First off, Paul points out that others help us in our good works. So again, look at Paul's, what he says in verse, go back to Titus chapter 3 if you're not there already. Go back to Titus chapter 3, again, looking at verse 12 and 13, he says, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey so that they'll lack nothing. And you know, Paul ends a lot of his letters this way. He thanks people, he greets people, he asks people for help. Paul understood that this mission we have before the Lord to bear fruit and be his poem to the world, it's not a one-man show. It's not just something between you and the Lord, but we need help from those around us, as we saw from Kelly earlier today. We need each other to help in this mission. Zenos, who we don't know anything about except for in this passage, and Apollos, who is a man that was mighty in the Scriptures, it says in Acts. He's a man mighty in the Scriptures. They had good deeds that God wanted to accomplish in them, but they needed help. Even Apollos, a man mighty in the Scriptures, he needed the help of the the church at Crete and Titus to help him. Community uh, is an important part of your growth in good deeds. That's one of the reasons we get together on Sunday mornings. Uh, Hebrews cha- and, and city groups and huddles. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, Let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good deeds, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So in the letter to the Hebrews, some people were getting in the habit of skipping church. Fortunately, that never happens today, uh, so we don't have to worry about it. Um, but he says, don't get in the habit of skipping church, not because God cares if you go to church, like it's a check checkbox. You get 10 points if you go to church this week, and 15 points if you go to city group, and 25 points and a bonus prize if, you go to, if you're in a huddle. Um, that's not how he does it. We don't get in the habit of skipping church because we need each other. We need each other to promote love and good deeds. You need to be here so I can stir you up to love and good deeds, and I need you here so you can stir me up to love and good deeds. So God doesn't just put you out here by yourself and say, okay, good luck, go do good deeds. He puts us in a group of people, a community of Christians, all filled with his spirit to help us as we do this. And I have a million examples of this, but I'm going to use my friend Seth. Uh, because ironically, he's not here, um, which, which is ironic. He's on vacation, so it's fine to go on vacations. You just can't get in the habit of not coming on Sundays. Um, but there's no ch- I'm using him as an example because there's no chance of him getting a big head because he's not here to hear it. Um, but he's stirred me up so many times to good deeds. We had, we had a guy here at church that needed a car, and I was like, okay, yeah, we'll pray for a car. And he said, pray for a car? Well, let's just go get him a car. I said, oh, yeah, why didn't I think of that? That's a really good idea. Uh, or the Sprague's. The Sprague's wanted a fence. And again, I said, I'm, I guess I'm more of a prayer, but I was like, hey, let's pray for a fence. And Seth called me, hey, let's go build a fence. And oh, yeah, that's, 
that's brilliant. Uh, or I can, uh, or I can tend, believe it or not, I can tend to be quarrelsome. And if I start getting quarrelsome or arguing about words like we were not supposed to do, as we saw last week, uh, what does my wife do? Sometimes gently, sometimes not as gently, but she stirs me up. She says, hey, you're being quarrelsome. Stop. She stirs me up to good deeds. My city group, so many times when I've been discouraged uh, and I'm down, my faith is weak, I'm not feeling like the promises of God are, are strong, that I'm not feeling like they're real. I go to city group and somebody will confidently say, God is good, God's coming back someday. Um, they'll talk about what they're learning that week, and I'm encouraged. Love and good deeds are stirred up in me because I'm with other people. So you don't have to do these good deeds alone. You're part of a body of believers. The people in this room, the people sitting next to you are here to help you grow in good deeds. That's what they're here for. So good deeds are not done in isolation. We have others to help us in this. Uh, But the other thing we see about good deeds not being in isolation is what our good works are aimed at. So other people help us, but other people are also the aim of our good deeds. You know, when we think of good deeds, we might think of reading your Bible, praying, going to church, and, and those are all good things, okay? Those are good. Do them. Um, but Paul tells us in verse 14 what people's good works should be aimed at. Do you see it there in verse 14? He says, our people, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works for pressing needs. They're aimed at pressing needs. The needs of other people is what our good works are aimed at. And he even gives us an example of this in verse 13 with Zenos and Apollos, right? That's the type of good work you should be doing is meeting the needs of people around you. Our good works are aimed at other people. Other people help us, and other people are the goal. God never intended for us as Christians to be monks who just sit by ourselves and we just grow in our relationship with the Lord and we say, I don't need anybody else. It's just me and the Lord. That's not how he's designed us to be. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 22, uh, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And what did he say? He says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. And you might think, okay, if that's the greatest commandment is love God, then yeah, I should be a monk. I'm just going to go spend all my time working on that, loving God. But Jesus doesn't stop there in his answer. It's very interesting. He's asked what's the greatest commandment. He answers with two. He says, love the Lord your God. And he says, the second greatest commandment is like the first. He says, it looks like it's the same as the first. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God. The second commandment, which is like the first, is love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus' point was that loving God and loving other people can't be separate from each other. The Pharisees thought we love God, but they hated other people. And Jesus came to tell them, no, if you hate other people, that shows you don't love God. God is love. Anyone who loves God will love other people. Truly loving God always results in loving other people. And he says, these two commandments sum up the whole law. Sums up everything God wants from you. Love God and love other people is what he wants from you. And he gives the example of the Good Samaritan. Uh, when he's answering this question, a man was beat up and needed help. Uh, and the two people who walked, there was two people who walked by the man and didn't help him. And who were they? They were a Levite and a priest, right? They were the religious people. 
The religious people said, we're too busy with religious things. We can't help someone. And Jesus was saying that a Samaritan who's an enemy of the Jews, uh, he comes and helps the person. And Jesus' point was, I don't want you spending your time doing religious things. I want you to spend your time loving people, meeting the needs of people around you. So, Good deeds don't happen overnight, number one. Number two, good deeds are to make God look good, not us. Number three, good deeds are not done in isolation. And the last thing we see as we close up the book of Titus, number four is good deeds come from God's grace. So that last phrase in verse uh, 15 of Titus chapter 3, Paul ends with the phrase, grace be with you all. And you know what? If you remember, that's how he actually started the book of Titus 2. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 4, he says, To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul had such a focus on God's grace. In fact, if you open up your Bible to a random book in the New Testament, almost all of them, you'll probably go to the one that doesn't, but almost all the books start with grace to you and end with grace be with you. That was Paul's focus in all of his books. So what is grace? Well, grace is God giving us something that is good. So grace is a good gift from God. That's what grace is, okay? So none of this is done by your own power. It comes from God's grace. It's a gift from him. And one of my concerns, I think, feel like people might hear this message about good works and think, okay, I'll start doing good works and then I'll become a part of the tree, and I'll get connected with Christ through my good works. I'll, I'll clean up my life, and then Christ will have a relationship with me. And that's, again, how people approach salvation, our relationship with God. But that's not how it works. Good works aren't what make you a part of the tree. They're the fruit that comes out of it. We saw in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift. You can't earn it. We connect with Jesus only by believing in him. It's through faith in him. All we can do is hear the word of God and believe it. We can hear that we're sinners, that there's a penalty for our sin. Jesus died to pay that penalty. We trust in him. And when you put your trust in Jesus, he does a supernatural work in you. He gives you his spirit, his strength. He connects you to the tree. And out of that come our good deeds. Another thing I want to see from this word grace uh, is that it is a good gift. It's something that's good for you. A lot of times, this happens in my heart, so I'm guessing it happens in your, yours, unless you're, maybe you just are beyond this. Um, but sometimes we see good deeds, we see God's commands, we see them as burdens. I don't know if any of you read through the book of Titus and you felt burdened. Oh, I, now I need to do this, now I need to do this, now I need to do this. That is not how God intends for this to be taken. This is meant to be grace. It's meant to be a good gift to us. It's meant to bring us joy. Sometimes we fall in the trap of thinking, well, what I really want is I really want to be sexually immoral, but I guess because God says I need to do it this way, I guess I'll do it this way. And it's, we start to look at it as a burden. 1 John 5, 3 says, this is what love for God is, to keep his commands, and his commands are not a burden. If you look at the commands of God, if you look at good deeds and what you see is a list of burdens or a list of have-tos, then you're missing the goodness that Jesus has for you. This is from God's grace. 
Jesus said back in John 15, you don't have to turn back there. It took you so long to get there before. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but Jesus says back in John 15, remember this? He said, my father's glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We looked at that. In verse 11 of John 15, he's, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you so that... So he's about to say, here's the reason that I'm telling you all this, to bear fruit and glorify God. And, and how would you guess that Jesus might finish that sentence? I'm telling you these things so that, you might think, so that God would be glorified, or so that you would be righteous, or so that you would do the right thing, or so that you would fight your sin. But that's not what Jesus says. Those are all true things. But what Jesus says is, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. God's intention for you is full joy. No burdens, full joy. He loves you. He is kind. He wants good for you. So the book of Titus is not meant to be burdens. It's meant for your joy. We bear fruit to glorify God, but bearing fruit for God is the most joyful way that you could possibly live. God's designed humans to live a certain way, to bear fruit, to glorify him, to live for other people. And the more misaligned you live with God's purpose for you, the more miserable you're going to get. Psalm 16 is my favorite psalm, but he says, the sorrow of those who run after other gods will be multiplied. It's not just that it's wicked to go away from God's design for you. It'll make you miserable. That's what God's really concerned about. This is terrible for you. I had a college student ask me once, he said, does God want his glory or does he want our joy? And the answer to these tough questions is almost always yes, right? <laughs> That's always the answer. Uh, the way God's designed it, living for his glory, living to bear fruit, living for good deeds is the only way for you to truly be joyful. Psalm 1611, that same psalm continues on. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you remember Psalm 1? We're going Old, going Old Testament now. But how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. He doesn't say how righteous is the person who stays away from sin. That's true. But he says, how blessed, how happy is the person who stays away from sin and bears fruit attached to Jesus as the tree. Living for God and bearing fruit attached to his tree is the most joyful way to live. It won't make your circumstances good. Uh, you know, no, the more you focus on other people, your circumstances actually tend to get worse, I've found. Um, you can ask, I was thinking about people in the Bible, ask Paul. As, he, as you grew closer to God, did your circumstances get better or worse? They got a lot worse. Or Jesus, right? He's the best example. Why didn't I think of that? That's <laughs> stupid. Uh, Jesus, he had the worst circumstances of anyone who's ever lived, but he also had the most joy of anyone who's ever lived. And you can have his joy in you. I write these things so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be made full. So, in closing, that's pastor way to keep your attention for two more minutes. Uh, in closing, two questions I want you to ask yourself is, first, are you attached to Jesus the way a branch is attached to a tree? Uh, there's probably some people in this room who are not. 
Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no point in trying to do good works to bear fruit and live for Christ if you're not attached to Christ. Uh, It's going to make you way more miserable and frustrated uh, doing it that way. It's like a dead branch on the ground trying to produce fruit. It just cannot happen. So are you attached to Jesus? And again, we attach to him not by doing good deeds, not by doing anything. We attach to him through faith, believing the message of the gospel. Then for most of you in this room, you are attached to Jesus. You're a part of the tree. I've seen fruit in you. Let's bear more fruit together. Let's grow closer and closer to Jesus Let's get more energy, more power, more of his spirit from the tree. I need your help with this. You need my help with this. And our goal is, as branches, is that we keep growing more and more into the tree. So we don't just grow out as branches. We grow into Jesus. And the, the end goal is that we grow so close to the tree that you can't really tell where the tree stops and the branch begins. We become so intertwined with Jesus and his spirit and his word and his love and his joy and his peace and his patience uh, that when people look at us, they don't see us anymore. They see Jesus. And that's when we shine the brightest. Alex mentioned earlier our city's call or our church is called City Light. That's from Matthew 5, 14. You, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And as our lives are transformed by Jesus' power, people see God's poem in our lives. We bring people into it. We say, yes, God's done a powerful work in my life, and he can do a powerful work in your life also. We're not greedy branches. We're branches who want more branches on the tree. We bring people in. People get saved. We get the joy. And God gets the glory. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear God, I just, I thank you, Lord, as as we look at this passage. I'm thankful for your goodness, Lord, for your grace, for your kindness, um, that you could be a God uh, who just tells us what to do and gives no thought to Uh, to us or to our joy or to how we're feeling about anything, Lord. Um, You could just be a slave master who just says, you need to do this to bring me glory. Um, But Lord, that's not who you are. That's not your character. You are full of kindness and goodness and love for us. And your goal for us uh, is our joy, fullness of our joy, Lord. I'm so thankful for that. Um, I just pray that you would help us to believe that. Satan comes in and he gives us lies saying, no, other things will make you happier. The fruit of this tree will make you happier than God's word. Um, I just pray that you would protect us from the lies of the evil one. You would just help us to cling to the truth of your word, um, Lord, and that by it we may all grow in respect to salvation. Uh, We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.